Um, sorry, I'm just waiting for Dr. Francine to come out of um, multicast hell, I think. <laughs> sorry. So we basically try, we're actually, as you know, we multicast to, uh, we've been multicasting for months. And so we'll be starting up shortly. And this is the second episode. Um, uh, this is a part two of the show that was done last, uh, before uh, Thanksgiving. And the idea was, it was all triggered by the the documentary called They Are Trying to Kill Us. And in the documentary, it talks about the uh, food insecurities, uh, the fact that there's a lot of issues with the big agra and uh, pharmacy industry. Um, And that was a conversation that was started and the recording's available uh, on call-in at this time. But it will be available uh, soon as a podcast as well. Um, also, in the meantime, while we wait for Dr. Francine, the Karma Club has a Discord server to be able to uh, collaborate and share information. And it's pinned at the top of the room. If you haven't uh, already seen it, it's at the top of the Clubhouse room. Uh, but I'll also tweet it out uh, soon. Um, and if you could follow, that'll be great. And hi, Dr. Francine. I got bounced out of this room twice. What? Thank you, Clubhouse, for doing this update. And that is why we are doing a discord channel because we have to do something where we can talk to each other and it isn't, it isn't necessarily dependent on whoever's Wi-Fi is working or not working. So let's try having a discussion. Where did I lose you or you lose me? Uh, This is the first time we've heard you talk actually in an extensive way. So you mean you didn't hear anything about the Discord channel, or <laughs> no? Sorry, you were talking into yeah closed mic, I think, or at least on our end, we didn't hear anything. No, no I was I was talking into uh, Clubhouse, but uh, yeah. nothing was coming across. Okay, so I'm happy to announce that we're starting a Discord server so that we can cut out these kinds of problems in between shows and what we're going to what we're going to do is use the discord server as a way for um for creators to engage their fans and fans to engage back with the creator and i'm very excited about that because i believe that that's the future the future is web3 and web3 is creating is creating bonds and a community between fans and creators and i i'm not really calling myself a creator but i'm a creator for the purposes of the karma club and the discord server uh the other thing that i want to announce that i'm so so proud of is that the karma club community through purchase uh, and holding of karma coins has uh, raised uh enough money to provide a grant to the person who has been the most faithful member of the Karma Club besides Amen, and that's Rablaka for the Blacks. And we gave her a small seed grant to get her Black Issues Issues business off the ground, and we did it on Giving Tuesday. And, and we did it. It was extremely exciting because I think that if we all support the Karma Coin community, we can do more of this. You know, I, I started it to do that, and I I have now at least... Hi, Elijah. Welcome to the room. I, and now at least I've done it once. So it'll cost 
two Karma Club coins, which is um, five dollars in American money. Um, and it will end up being a wonderful buy because American money is subject to big inflation and karma coin is subject to no inflation. But, but at any rate, um, the, the karma coin membership will get you into the Discord community and it will also raise some more money to give another grant to a, wealth, uh, a creator. And there are so many creators who need these grants. Okay, so now on to the subject of today's room. Can you still hear me? I'm very- Loud uh, and clear. Okay. Um, can, I just, can I just say, because you know, I'm always like never interrupting people, but yes, I just wanted to really, really thank um, Dr. Francine Hardaway uh, for, uh, for being one of the coalition of the whites whom are willing and whom are willing to support black content creators and to end racism because that's what uh, black issues issues is all about. It's all about using humor to heal the racial divide and have people laugh while they learn tools and techniques to end racism. So I really do appreciate all that you are and all that you do um, as an octogenarian who is literally forever 21, Dr. Francine for the blacks. Blindeed. Thank you. Okay, so now let's get on to the subject of the room, which is food injustice. And this other documentary that I found after the first discussion we had, um, it's called The Invisible Vegan. And it was done by Jasmine Leva. And I actually invited her, but I guess it wasn't number one on her <laughs> list of priorities, but she has done a 90-minute independent documentary that explores the problem of unhealthy dietary patterns in the African-American community. And she puts in the foreground, as opposed to uh, they're trying to kill us, which I found very negative. Um, I mean, I mean, a, the, a lot of the messages were positive, like that we have to fix this, but but I found it sort of depressing to hear all these rappers uh, talking about how bad the food injustice was in the Black community. But this woman, Jasmine Leva, has made a different kind of documentary where she talks about the positive health and wellness possibilities, and she uses herself as a as a uh, an example of what you can do if you go on a plant-based diet. Now, Sequoia, this is your area, and you have been on stage for a long time <laughs> waiting for this discussion to happen. So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and your cause. Well... Uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having the room. Um, I did join the Discord server, so having uh, better communication is awesome. Um, and I did invite some people that I've heard speak on Clubhouse, Asia, down right that's up here as a moderator, because she is definitely passionate about helping people realize how they can get food sovereignty, which is the ability to actually make food yourselves. And we have this technology that's out there. And having urban gardens and ways that people can create their own food, their own healthy, nutritious food, um, is increasingly important. 
I love that phrase, food sovereignty, because it's a sort of a parallel to the cryptocurrency, um, the cryptocurrency movement, which is asking for financial sovereignty. And it, what it's saying is that our institutions have failed us. And I would say that big farmer, big pharma, and big agriculture have failed us big time because not only have they given us unhealthy food, but they've uh, polluted the earth in growing it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we really start to look at food subsidies and the way that chemicals are used in our food supply, um, it becomes really disturbing. You look at the cancer clusters along the Mississippi River, and you realize that those communities are real are being exposed to all of the chemicals that are washing off of the farmlands to the north. And it's, it's pretty shocking to see the change in where the cancer clusters went from the coasts to the interior of the nation in the last 20 years. Um, it's disturbing. And it's because of greed. And, uh, yeah, it, so taking the sovereignty, getting the food back into communities so it's not being shipped around the world from a different country that has different regulations um, is incredibly important. I don't, I don't know, Aja, if you want to jump in and add something, because I, I think you have a lot to bring to this conversation. Why, thank you, Sequoia, and thank you for having this room. I'm Aja. I'm a holistic gardener. I'm in Gary, Indiana. I'm from Chicago. Um, and I really resonated what with what um, for the blacks. I don't know if that's what you want me to call you, but I definitely yes, it's it's for black or for the blacks, Blended, Yes, mm-hmm. always for the blacks. <laughs> okay. And are you okay. Is, is it are you Aja for the blacks? Is it? Mm-hmm. I'm Aja. Are you for the blacks? I don't know if I'm for the blacks. It's a good I don't thing. know. I, I think you are. <laughs> that's the whole point of what I do. It's fun. It's fun. Okay. Your eyes are black. Good. Continue. Okay. But um, <laughs> don't so I, the first time everyone meets Rebecca, it's always a, a little in your face. But don't worry, she's a good girl. I don't know. I I know she's. You're hilarious. Um, for the blacks, but um, I don't really hope you can hear me because I'm I'm actually sitting in a grocery store parking lot and it says poor connection. So I really hope that you can hear me right now. You're on. You're on. Okay. Okay, great. All right. So I'm in Gary, Indiana, but I'm not in Gary, Indiana because there are no grocery stores right now. But I live in Gary, Indiana, and I'm from Chicago. And my family moved to Gary. We bought a house that set 20 years vacant. We moved to Gary because it's cheaper than living in Chicago right now. And um, the house sat vacant for 20 years, and we converted the front yard, backyard, and side yards all into garden space. Fought a huge case with the city of Gary because we did that in a city that has really no access to quality food. Um, Won that case in um, 2019. It was a year-long case. It It was emotionally dragging. But um, got through that. But like Sequoia was saying, I'm really about making, um, growing our own food. Because we can't sit around and wait for grocery stores to come 
And even if grocery stores are in our communities, that does not mean we're going to get high quality food. Even food that's labeled organic is not necessarily high quality food. Um, Our soil is depleted. So we definitely have to put um, food sovereignty into our own hands. And in order to do that, we have to build our soil. We have to be careful with our water, what water we use in our garden space. I mean, it's just a whole thing. But I say all that to say that we. this is something that all of us can do ourselves, whether or not you're in a, a house, an apartment, um, any of that. We have to just take control ourselves and nobody can tell us. Nobody should be able to tell us and we shouldn't allow anybody to tell us what we should and should not be feeding our families. Thank you. And I, I found all this out about 10 years ago because there was a farmer's market um, in Phoenix, right on the edge of the, uh, the reservation on the east side of Phoenix. And I went out there one day and I saw that I, I was led to go out there by somebody saying it was a good farmer's market. And it was run by a man who grew his own vegetables. But more, and he had quite a bit of acreage, and now he has more because he leased a lot of land from Arizona State University. But it was more interesting to me that he also sold soil, and he spent a lot of time regenerating, like you said, Aya, regenerating the soil so that he could really uh, sell the soil to people who wanted to grow their own vegetables because the soil, I, I think most people don't realize it, but the soil is so depleted that the percentage of uh, vitamins and minerals that used to be in plants, in, in plant-based foods, uh, has declined. And the reason that it's declined is because of the poverty of the soil that it's been grown in. And that was the first time I, I got really interested in regenerative farming. And there's a very good documentary that I saw on YouTube. Let me go look it up. But it's- Dr. Dr. Francine, when I, can I chime in with a recommendation? Sure. Something exactly on that. Uh, farmer's footprint. Uh, the um, oh no, that's the nonprofit. What is? Um, oh shoot, the name of the movie just flew out of my head. Hold on. Oh yeah. So while you're um, picking that up, Sequoia, I, I adore that name. By the way, uh, one of the key nutrients that the soil is is missing is actually magnesium. Um, so when you do your, your blood work and, and, you know, they're testing you for vitamin D and they're testing you for a lot of different. So, so magnesium is one of the nutrients that allows for um, calcium to bind to your bones. It, it also helps to regulate your hormones. Like magnesium is like key. So um, again, I've been doing all this research on like, you know, I'm not a nutritionist or whatever, but my body works. So, uh, you know, what, what actual nutrients you need. So like most multivitamins, you pee them out. Like they're not, <laughs> they're not actually, because you can see your, your urine is like way more yellow. Like you're not, your body's not actually absorbing them. So there's ways in which you can do very targeted um, 
nutrient dense supplements. Um, cause most times like your body is supposed to absorb the nutrients through the food. So when you get it through synthetic vitamin sources, your body doesn't, it doesn't process it because it's not already in the food. So the best way to actually get it is through nutrient dense, like dried food supplements, like you know, beet juice powder that's been tested to have the magnesium in it versus like over-the-counter magnesium pills. Um, and zinc is another, phosphorus is another. There's, there's quite a few like uh, nutrients that your body literally really needs to be high functioning. And then on top of that, we live in a very high stress world. So like our bodies are constantly be, be depleted on top of it. Uh, B12 is another one. And then last thing is that George Washington Carver, who's very famous for um, peanuts, all the inventions that he did for peanut, but he was also um, a key figure in crop rotation. He invented a way to rotate crops that doesn't deplete the soil. So he doesn't get credit for that, but you know, that's another thing for the blacks. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. about well, George Washington Carver, like he was adamant, like you cannot just continuously grow cotton in these sand, in these soils. You must grow peanuts. You must grow legumes. You must rebuild the soil because the soil is definitely depleted. As you were talking for the blacks, I forgot why what you were saying was resonating with me, but I just remembered if it's okay for me to say why what you were saying was resonating. Um, okay, so I was thinking about a time I was in a meeting in Gary and I was leaving out the meeting and I looked down at my phone and I saw a text from my husband. He said, can you go pick up something? I don't know what it was from the store. And I looked at my phone I'm like, oh shoot, I have to drive 20 miles to get this one item that he wants. I mean, this is absolutely insane because when I do grocery shop, I do come to a whole nother city most of the times I go back to Illinois to grocery shop. So that was the point that I wanted to bring up. And also I wanted to bring up the point about the war and the, um, the processed foods. I've gotten to a habit of collecting old cookbooks and you are so on the money because when you look at the very, very old cookbooks, like late 1800s, early 1900s, it's straight farm to table and they don't have to say farm to table. That's just what it is. But when you look at the cookbooks around 1950, then it's like, okay, go get this can of so-and-so and so-and-so. So I, I, that's just what I was thinking of when you were talking. Thank you. Awesome. Yay. Uh, May I say something? I just have a couple. Yeah, let me just uh, quickly wrap up. The, the the movie that I was thinking of about regenerative agriculture is Farmer's Footprint. It's available on many platforms. Um, and one of the principles behind it uh, is the Rodell Institute, who has done long-term studies on the health of our soils in the United States. And they have... Uh, 50-year comparison studies between organic and non-organic and different styles of farming. And they've really come to prove that we can restore our soils. This is not a lost cause, but it does take farming in a different kind of way than the corporate level. And, uh, you know, this is where people can take that food sovereignty back. The Rodell Institute is working with MDs uh, at a local hospital. They are in Georgia. And they have created a curriculum for doctors to go and study the how to get these kind of nutrients in real food 
not supplements, uh, which is the ideal way to get it. So I, I think it's great that MDs are starting to explore this and a hospital system is starting to explore this. So there, there is hope out there on a, on a macro level. Um, but the idea of food sovereignty and growing your own food and knowing where you're, knowing your farmer is really, really critical in my opinion. Thank you. Uh, who is going to talk? Hey, Sequoia, what was the name of the So, uh, excuse me. Hi, uh, this is Aram. I just joined the stage, Dr. Francine and Heyman and Sequoia. Um, I'm so glad to be here. Good morning, Aram. Good morning, Dr. Francine. I'm sorry I'm a little late. I had another room that finished up later. Uh, so glad to be here and joining. And so far, the discussion I've heard is just like music to my ears because it's been several years since I've been uh, uh, kind of uh, sharing this knowledge and my own personal experience with so many people who I work with since I left the medical field, uh, knowing that the food, farming, the whole system of soil depletion, the nutrient depravity that our bodies are experiencing and resulting in so many chronic illnesses and diseases just because the food, which is sad American diet, is kind of lacking in the pure quality um, nutrient basics that our bodies need for fueling and repair and uh, metabolism and energy production. So uh, this discussion is really close to my heart and I'm so glad to be here and, uh, um, you know, would love to share my knowledge and uh, the research and all the uh, <laughs> great lessons that I have learned over time in terms of how to feed your body uh, to uh, prevent illness and promote health, vitality, um, and getting rid of certain really highly um, prevalent uh, metabolic syndromes, um, you know, especially people of color, uh, minorities and a different kind of genetic uh, lineage that are associated with certain uh, metabolic, uh, you know, or uh, genetic uh, level deficiencies that may impact our health and well-being. So I would love to contribute anytime, uh, whenever uh, you wish to do so. So glad to be here, Dr. Francine and everyone. Thank you for allowing me uh, to be a part of this conversation. I'm Aram and I'm complete. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Key um, Sequoia. I just had a quick question with regards to the the, the institutional partnership between um, Rodale Institute and you mentioned a doctor or a, a health um, or, or hospital. Yeah, the Rodale Institute has a white paper uh, that spells all of this out. They actually have continuing, they're approved for continuing education hours for MDs to go and do this week-long immersion program on nutrition in the soil. And I can't remember the name of the hospital. I, I have the white paper on my computer, but it would take me a moment to, to pull it up. It's a, it's, it's a very interesting document. And I, I'm gonna, I was going to pin the, uh, the biggest little farm. Oh, somebody just put that one up. That's a great, that's a great one as well. <laughs> Lots of really good movies. On I put so, it up. That was, the yeah. one that, that was the one that I couldn't think of the name of. I found it. Yeah. <laughs> I finally found it, so I put it up Excellent. there. Is Sequoia, what was the name of the film that you were talking about, though? It's called Farmer's Footprint. It's 20 minutes long. It's a short, it's a shorter film, um, but it, it's, it's similar. So. I also saw a very good documentary recently called Fantastic Fungi. And it's shown yes. that 
yes, mushrooms are very effective at cleaning up the soil, um, cleaning up toxins, petroleum. As a matter of fact, whenever they have oil spills, they find if they're taking mushrooms, they work better than anything else to clean, clean up the contaminations. Very, very good documentary. Fantastic fungi. Yeah, what Rodell has found in their garden plots that they've been monitoring for 60 years, it's really the health of the soil is determinant on the amount of life that's there. And so the more that we use chemical fertilizers and kill things, the more we're depleting the soil. So it's the fungal life, it's the little tiny bugs that are six feet down. Um, it's all of those things together. It's really, really very... Uh, it, the idea of killing our way to health is so wrong. It's like, let's live our way to health. Oh, I love a segue. May I just step in now? <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, please Hi. do. Sure, go. Thank you. Uh, well, exactly, killing our way in. So there are, you just touched on everything I was about to say earlier. Those little bugs create aeration in a, in a ground. So that's where the air keeps coming and keeping it clean to the roots so they don't rot. Secondary is um, normal gardens and harvesting should be not done every seven years. That means every seven years the earth has to rest and there is no planting, no cropping, nothing. And that's how the nature works. If you look at uh, crops every seven year, seventh year there is nothing it's almost like no fruit no apples no apricots nothing and that's a normal cycle where the fruits vegetables the earth rests and that's their cycle seven years we have a week when we rest on sunday the earth and plants take seven years so that's one thing to respect the next one is killing our way to health that was like a perfect segue couldn't help it they're telling everybody to wear sunscreen this is also a way of restricting nutrients. This is also a way to restricting conversion of minerals from light and air. You may not be aware of it, but not only do we get vitamin D, but our bone strength depends on light, sunlight. Without it, it becomes soft. It's called rickets disease. When children are born and they're not exposed to light, the bones curl. Because without light, they don't develop. They do not stay strong. And this is also... Kids used to have rickets in the 19th century. Yes, yes, yes. That's what it was, lack of light. And what's amazing is that, you know how everybody now is having a, a problem with facial structure, with bones. And that's why they created silicone injections to recreate structure, the bone structure on the face. It's from using SPF, sunblocks. So I'm sure you know all about it, how people keep injecting this to, to recreate what they had, a useful uh, bone structure around the eyes, the cheeks, the jaw, etc. Well, it's but, kind of a trade-off because when you get to my age, um, they start they supplement you with vitamin D. It's different. Many it's different. Of, hmm? It's different. It doesn't work because the bones, it's not vitamin D for the bones. The bones actually convert other things and you 
it's probably most important one, iron. Iron is the one that carries yeah. oxygen. It's the one that bonds in our blood I think, with oxygen. No, I think we're and getting into the uh, weeds from here. Uh, uh, what, iron in the blood? Uh, so let's yeah, pull back a little bit because I think... Yeah. No, let's pull back Isn't a bit because I think we were... we were. I think the, the whole idea is also making sure the initial inputs are good, right? So the diet... The food injustice. I think that's the idea of the room. And yes, vitamin D is an important part. Uh, vitamin D, unfortunately, the deficiency is higher in the northern uh, climates. I mean, so it's in the in the in the northern areas where there's winter because we are actually covering ourselves a lot more. And the reason yes, but I, Heyman, mm-hmm. have lived in Arizona for fifty years and still have this vitamin D deficiency. Right, and it's because. They've told us who live in Arizona to stay out of the sun and, and, to, use wear, and to wear sunblock. And use the sunblock. This is the reason you can live in Hawaii and have D deficiency because they're telling you to cover yourself with sunblock and it works. It covers you. It's That's balance, one of yeah. the reasons we have this you know, pandemic of deficiency of vitamin D, which supports immune system. So those were the key points I want to bring out how in very um, to our good health, they tell us not to have cancer, to use uh, sunblock. But in reality, sun without chemicals on your skin will not cause it. And I know I'm stepping out here out of a new belief system, but um, we did not have cancer before sunblock and before petroleum byproducts were put into skincare. There were no skin cancers. Well, that's an interesting question about petroleum byproducts, because I'm old enough to remember when we didn't use sunblock or uh, or any of that. And we sat in the sun and uh, and actually my father used to sit in the sun with a uh, tinfoil covered uh, folded yep. visor that. To, to direct the rays of the sun, you know, however, however we can, he could. So at at any rate, we're not here to debate any medical issues because no one in this room except Heyman, who is really a doctor, is is capable of debating. No, no, but even then, I I wouldn't say I'm an expert either. So, I mean, I am here to listen as well, but it's just, I just wanted to make sure that the, the main uh, reason for the room, which was the food part. Was food, food, right. I just didn't want to forget the, uh, the, no, the uh, but I was, you know, I was bringing this because there is food is essential, but we also get more minerals and vitamins through the skin and through the uh, conversion oh. of what's outside. So those are necessary minerals, trace minerals, elements, and vitamins, too. And we have we to talk about gut health it. at that point, too, right? So there's a lot of issues sure. with the gut health as well. As Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. But, it's uh, all Dr. together. Francine, I have an issue to debate. Uh, we not heard from yet. Um, Dr. Francine, can I quickly say that doctors are given very little tra- training in nutrition. So I don't think they're experts Agreed. on this Agreed. subject at all. <laughs> Agree, uh, and and Heyman admits that. Yeah. Okay, but let's let's just talk about the politics of food, and really wanted to, you know, talk about in here and how we improve the ability for people from around the world, you know, to get equal um, 
access to to food and in some ways um i in some ways our diets changed uh when we colonized america because we changed everybody we brought over uh especially the black people from their sort of plant-based diet in africa where they very little meat to a um heavy meat eating diet which is what we do now anyway i haven't heard from um key hello good afternoon my apologies i was trying to uh, get to the mute button i am here as a small farmer uh, oh goody located in northwest georgia uh, my husband and i practice Indigenous and traditional farming techniques, uh, 100% organic. We definitely are in the regenerative space, um, you know, utilizing everything that we have here um, because we are in a hardwood area. So, of course, this leaf fall is good for us. Um, you know, we, we actively compost um, and um, seeing mycelium, seeing, you know, all of the things that are beneficial to the soil. We're, we're big, big, big soil builders and soil advocates because here in this area, um, the foundation is bedrock, primarily uh, granite, limestone, uh, quartz. Um, there, it's just it's rock on top of rock on top of rock. So um, and clay here in, in, in this particular area of Georgia. So um, being soil builders and definitely being in a space where we are not just growing food for our community and for our home and for ourselves, but also educating people on that process. I'm definitely in tune with this conversation. Um, we are in a rural area, so um, food deserts don't necessarily exist um, around us. It's more so um, understanding that there's quality food and that there's food that is more life-giving um, and that's definitely better for the body from a nutritive perspective that we're having to you know, educate people on. And, and so I'm here to just be a part of the conversation and to lend my perspective. Thank you. Well, Key, I want to ask you, um, are you able to, and, and maybe this is a private question, but are you able to make a living as a small farmer? Because I had heard that it was very difficult because, you know, of the cost differences involved in regenerative farming and um, the issues, you know, the issues that Big Ag poses for small farmers. You are absolutely right within that. Um, this is not something that um, is, is definitely not. I mean, you know, we both still work in a traditional, you know, workspace. I'm a corporate executive, you know, nine to five within the business intelligence industry um, in telecom. And that's my bread and butter. And um, the farm, we're just two years into it um, as a um, you know, a, a confirmed corporate entity, according to the state, um, you know, just recently finished a lot of our uh, certifications and things of that nature with the Farm Service Agency. I will say that USDA is working very hard, um, especially with regards to minority and black owned uh, farms, you know, to to, you know, make up for a lot of the injustices with regards to stolen land and with regards to um, inequities around loans and uh, funding and things of that nature that have occurred in the past. That's, of course, just now starting to happen within the last year, um, maybe two years at max. 
And of course, we're looking to be able to, you know, reap some of the benefits from those programs and helping us to build and helping us to move into a space where we can do this um, independently. Oh, I love that. Thank you. I just saw, as I was looking for the movies online, I just saw a, a site that they wouldn't let me pin, so I couldn't pin it for you, but the name of it is regenerativefarms.org, and it's an organization of women regenerative farmers. And I'm just, when this call is over, I'm going to get on there and see what they have and what they promise. And and it seems the whole concept of it seemed pretty cool. Hey, Elijah, you are involved in food justice and we haven't heard from you. Hi, Dr. Francine. How are you? Thanks for Hi. having me. Um, I was. Yeah, I love you too. And yeah, I'm, my name is Elijah Joy. Um, I don't know if Leisha has spoken already, but Leisha's, Leisha and uh, I started the first uh, and only Food Justice uh, Club on the app. It's just called Food Justice. It's in my bio with uh, e Egyptian comedic figure Ma'at, um, bringing balance as much as possible. Um, and, you know, we are working to bring more of those efforts onto the app. I do this stuff in real life. Um, with uh, mostly with a, a, an organization in Washington uh, called Bread for the City, breadforthecity.org. Um, we are actually kicking off a fundraiser this year um, called the 42 Acres Project, um, which is sort of a prototype um, for a micro food system in, in the nation's capital uh, to support um, uh, the larger food systems and to support, to support uh, under-resourced communities, um, mostly of color in the Washington, D.C. area, um, uh, who, would, who are most impacted um, during times of pandemic, emergency management, and just day-to-day -day living. Um, we look to sort of remother food systems um, with this uh, micro food system, you know, it's a food hub essentially, but sort of a super hub. Um, it includes multiple partners um, uh, like uh, the University of the District of Columbia and their causes program, um, which is agricultural centered uh, resiliency, sustainability, um, urban ag. And um, it is the first and is the only um, uh, urban land grant uh institute in the united states and um multiple private farms and um and some public lands as a part of this which include commercial kitchens um multiple commercial kitchens also uh, uh job training workforce development around um, what's needed in the food system and what's needed also to bring equity uh to the food system the food system um as we know it is uh, has long been outdated itself, um, and there were extreme uh, breaks in the supply chain um, an antiquated supply chain um, that doesn't work anymore um, during the pandemic and so we were before there was a term farm farm to pantry we were right there um, when the farmers in our region lost. 90% uh, of their income uh, during the early part of uh, late part of March and early part of April 
Um, so we moved about 30,000 pounds of all uh, fresh, local, nutrient-dense produce um, uh, into the community um, in about four or five weeks. Most people don't realize that pantries do purchase their foods um, in general. So, you know, um, I organized purchase agreements between um, uh, the, the, the multiple partners and uh, we were just distributing through a, a variety of pantries outside of just bread for the city. Um, there's a lot of politics, a lot of, um, you know, uh, racism baked into uh, even food, food systems uh, centered around philanthropy. So, um, so that's where I stand is sort of dismantling racism in the food system. You can't do everything all the time. And so the food system has been my uh, focus um, for some time now. And I'm also a vegan chef. Um, um, and I'm so glad to know. I knew kind of that, but I didn't know all of that. So thank you. She's amazing. Um, Le- Leisha. Yes. Hello, everybody. Hi, my sis. Hi, Elijah. Uh, I am, I work for Edible Schoolyard Project in California. I am a chef, an educator, and our approach to um, food sovereignty and food security has been in the acquisition of a six-acre farm in Stockton. We got the lease in August, but we have been doing this work ever since, well, for, for many years. For those who aren't familiar with Edible Schoolyard Project, It was started by Chef Alice Waters from Chez Panisse Restaurant in Berkeley, California. And what she did was she realized her daughter was attending a middle school that didn't have good food. And she was serving high quality food in her restaurant. And she wanted the, um, the, the schoolyard to reflect you know, the the bounty that we have in California, the access that we have here. And so she took it upon herself to create the Edible Schoolyard Project. And that is now 25 years old in um, Berkeley. And about two and a half years ago, we started here in Stockton um, with the same mindset that we would go into the schools and recreate what um, had been done in Berkeley and expand upon it. And the mindset and idea was really to look at the food justice perspective from a sense of giving away the food and providing access is only one arm of the work. Because here we are in a system where, you know, someone mentioned earlier in the discussion about decolonizing uh, the diets, decolonizing the mindsets in terms of making making um, the the bold claim that who you are in your DNA, who you were born to be, your your indigenous practices are um, what sustain you rather than hinder your health. Because we have been told for so long that, you know, indigenous people, black and brown folks have that our ways are harming us when that couldn't be further from the truth. So here in the work that we're doing is affirming everybody as they are, 
who they were born as and then supporting them in that and saying that, you know, eating as your your grandparents, your great grandparents ate and so on and so forth is not a hindrance to your your health, your wellness, your well-being, all of those things. So on top of providing free organic produce since the be- pandemic started, we have given away um, probably probably close to a million pounds of food at this point. Um, I lost count at some point. Period. Period, <laughs> sis. Go I off. We are, I think we are close to a million pounds of food that we have actually provided free to the community here in uh, Stockton, California. And with that food, I give them recipes. I give them tips, nutrition. I have a degree in nutrition and culinary arts. And And history. (laughs) Yes, as well. So what we are doing is we're we're letting them know that, okay, maybe this is unfamiliar to you because that's what happens a lot. A lot of people are like, oh, we'll just give them the food. The food doesn't go anywhere once it reaches their home if it's unfamiliar, if they don't know how to prepare it, how to store it, how it helps to benefit their their bodies, their minds, their spirits, their well-being, all of those things. So they get those materials. They get my phone number. They can call me and ask me, you know, anything. We FaceTime the community, people I don't know. It's like, you know, there's Dial a Chef. You call me and I will walk you through it. This is how you open that butternut squash. Trust me, it's going to be worth it in the end. That kind of thing. Food literacy. Yes, it is. It's definitely food literacy. I teach classes. Um, The school board, they did a weird thing in um, September, so I haven't been in the school this year. But last year, I had my own after-school program. This year, um, we purchased the Charlie Cart, which is a mobile kitchen to teach in the schools. Um, Since um, the pandemic and and the the back and forth, um, I've done virtual classes. So now we're um, doing virtual classes and series all of those types of things to um, to really fully support the community. And now we're knee deep in farm programming. So I'm developing the programs that are happening on our six acre farm at this point. We're going to have activities, field trips. I'm working on a massive Earth Day celebration. I hope Elijah Joy can come. And <laughs> we are going to have a really good time exposing the community to what really is natural because it, it feels natural, right? But it's been taken away from us. So we keep saying that all this is foreign this is foreign no we're home we arrive home when we get in that on that land and we put our hands in the soil and we actually you know put the seed in the soil grow this grow the thing then cook the thing and sit at the table with our people that is actually what is normal and we feel a return to home when we do that so that's part of the process. And so, yeah, we are doing some some things in terms of um, teaching and supporting agriculture, food preservation, um, culinary arts, the different way that we can approach the, the different arms that we have to actually fully support the community in the food sovereignty space, in the food justice space, because I fully believe that it's good to have all of these other organizations out there that, you know, okay, they give away food. We need those people to give away food, but we also have to start to understand that the wraparound for it all is providing all of these different avenues and particularly the nutrition piece, because what we don't want to do is insult people's intelligence. 
We don't want to overstate things that, you know, um, or, or just really, really like nutrition is a difficult subject to approach in this community because there's so much conflicting information and people who actually haven't studied nutrition, who don't have nutrition degrees. I am always, always, always in that space of, you know, not trying to beat my chest, but correcting folks on, well, that's not exactly how the body works. Lisa, so it's 11.58. This is oh. no personal reflection on you, but I always uh, end my rooms on the hour. But I do want to say follow Leisha because she's so totally Leisha. 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 Yes. Okay, because she's so totally knowledgeable on the wraparounds of the food system problems. And I think she's totally right about that. Um David or Robert, do either of you want to unmute and add something before? Okay. Hi, David. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks for gathering together in this great discussion. I've been uh, taking it in. I am wanting to um, go forward 100 years and say what we need to do, I believe, is to obsolete hunger through nutrition and obsolete homelessness through care for our neighbor. And I believe we can do that in a program, what I call the city farm belt, where we take uh, people's backyards and turn them into gardens. And the garden keeper is possibly a homeless person in a tiny home and have a tiny greenhouse as well. Uh, The idea being that we can grow our own food within walking distance. Um, it's going to be quite a while from now, but I think we need to get the fuel out of our food. Out of our it's, food. It's a great vision. It is a great vision, and I I wish you well with it. And if there's any way Karma Club can help, we would love to do that. Um, and if I could just jump in here real quick, Dr. Francine, one of the things that makes what Leisha does and what I do special as we serve Black people is you have to have a culturally appropriate lens through which this work comes through. Right. And you can only get that from being in proximity to the people that you are trying to help. So this is where I want, you know, and you can, if you search Brian Stevenson, uh, the author of Just Mercy and um, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative and um, uh, the museum um, in... um, uh, Montgomery, Alabama. No, in Montgomery. No, in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, exactly, the lynching museum. Yes, and where he breaks down the history. But one of the things that he says, you have to be in proximity, either in thought or mind. And and so, when, when I just want to encourage those of the whites who are willing, um, when you come up with these ideas, you know. Talk to some some black folks. Talk to some black <laughs> folks experiencing homelessness. Talk to some black folks experience, experiencing uh, food insecurity. Talk to anyone in your region, whether they're black, white, whatever, because um, this is not a black problem in the United States, homelessness or food insecurity. You're not kidding. And, and, so, and most people don't realize that, if you, especially if you live in the coastal uh, you know, towns and cities and meccas. So that's all I got to say. Thank you. I just thank like you, to thank encourage, you. Us, encourage us to say that homelessness is not a 
one race issue. It's an every race issue. Uh, so thank you for your guidance. Uh, local research is valuable, uh, Elijah. I'm on that. Thanks. Uh, Dr. Francine, I know you close at the top of the hour. So but pay like- people. No. Hold on one second. Pay people for their research. Don't just mine black people's whatever. Don't just mine poor people's whatever. Pay them like you would pay a researcher. All right, Elijah. Robert, bring us home. Okay. Anyhow, um, appreciate the discussion. Uh, I know you end at the top of the hour. So I will, I'm going to come from a different angle, but I'll save that for another time. I know Heyman on stage and I appreciate what you do. Um, But I do think there's a lot of personal ownership on a lot of this. Um, I also think that... I also think that there's, and that's relating to food, exercise, you name it, how you spend your money. Uh, I, I do struggle with demonizing um, major corporations uh, or any companies. Yes, they have done some good. Yes, they have done some bad. But understand how product development goes on. A lot of times we, int- we interview the consumer. And if they say, I want something fast, easy, then we start going into the rooms and figuring out how to make it fast, easy, melt better, this, that, and the other to solve a need, uh, to solve a taste. So understanding those things, I, I would love to be a part of a conversation where we just talk about things without demonizing, but I can be a part of that also. And I'm a happy capitalist, so anybody who wants to talk to one, I'm here. Thank you. I'm a happy capitalist too, Robert. Thank you. Well, that's a good idea for a room. Um, so this room is over. But please join the Discord server, and here's, here's what we are going to do next week. And I know this is going to kind of get me in trouble, but uh, I read an article in The Guardian that I really would like to discuss with intelligent people who can agree to disagree, and that is the two different pandemics we are having, the one in Africa and the results of the pandemic in Africa versus the one we're having in the developed countries. And uh, I was part of a room last night that Heyman was part of. Um, There was Heyman's MedTech Club, and it underscored for me uh, the fact that we're going to have to talk about the difference between how the developed countries have handled vaccination and travel and the effects of the pandemic and how um, the continent of Africa or Australia or, you know, other, other places have also handled it. So if you're up for, this is going to be, I think, heavy. <laughs> but I, I, you know me, I insist on civility. And, so and the best part it, is at this hour, uh, we could actually ha- invite our South African friends as well to join us. You know, that would help. be really, yeah. that would be great. All right. Um, So everybody, I love you all. I'm so happy that you show up um, and join the Karma Club Discord server so that you'll know more about what's going on here. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, that's a way to get in touch with me. And I've also started listing all the links that we've been putting up. Sequoia, uh, uh, everyone who's been mentioning it, I've been putting up the links in the Discord server under Food Insecurity. So you could also. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Herman. Thank you, Dr. Francine. And thank you, Dr. Herman. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all. Thank you. And I definitely agree with Robert.
create your own system. Thank you. Take care, everyone.